Hey, everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, SLAS Scientific Director Marshall Brennan, and today we have David McIntyre with us. David comes to us from Boston University, where he's combining machine learning and rapid prototyping to automate the design of drop microfluidic devices for synthetic biology. Importantly, David recently won SLAS's 2021 fellowship, so we are really glad to have him with us today. Welcome, David. Hi, Marshall. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, the pleasure is entirely mine. So we have a tradition here, and we would like you to start by describing your day-to-day work in 10 words or fewer. Yeah, so 10 words or fewer, I say that I build microfluidic chips in a structured way defined by machine learning. That might not have been 10 words. I think, that I, think, was I, think it, I think it was 11, but you know what? I'm willing to... Okay. Considering one of them was an article, I'll give it to you. <laughs> there might be a hyphen there somewhere. That's awesome. So now with the elevator pitch behind us, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing, uh, especially the uh, research behind the fellowship. It sounds really fantastic. And I'm really curious to uh, hear about your, your plans. Yeah. So I think that to give a background of what I'm doing, I'll step back and kind of give a background of our, our lab. So I work for Doug Densmore, who's an associate professor at Boston University. And he really comes from the electronic design space. And his first few years as a professor was really uh, focusing on building software tools to automate the design of biological circuits. So we had a big paper out uh, a few years ago on genetic circuit design automation. And while doing that, he realized that there wasn't a very efficient way to test these biological circuits at high throughput. You know, you can have these massive robotic labs, but really there's not a systematic easy way to do it without having this massive infrastructure. So we started working towards microfluidics, where this is really where I came in. And we're working in the lab to build out rapid prototyping workflows. So using CNC micromilling, we can go from design to building and then testing that chip within a single day. And taking that similar approach from the basic principles of kind of electronic design automation, the way people bring out electronic circuits, we're trying to apply those sort of principles to make microfluidics less of a Art where you know you have these these experts in microfluidics going to the clean room building that, making it more of an engineerable process where we have these components with the actual specific functionalities that we know. That's so really awesome. we're doing all of that, kind of building out the software tools and the hardware workflows for microfluidics, but we're trying to keep it grounded with our initial motivation to do this, right? Which is to build these high throughput screens for um, synthetic biology. That's really great. I think that there's definitely a lot going on in this project, but ultimately the idea of like you said, reducing this process from being art form to being just uh, you know a practice is really important because you know when we think about even just things like reproducibility, that's going to be a really important part about moving forward. When you think about the future of this project, especially you know in the thinking about you know what you'll accomplish um, as a SLAS fellow, what are you? What is your target goal? Like what are you? What is your sort of dream outcome from this project? And you know. What are the impacts that you expect it to have on our community? Yeah, so I think there's one aspect of it, right? Which is kind of the initial application of these hardware and software tools that we're building. It's very easy for us to say we can do so much with our devices, but if we don't actually run any screens of it, you know, the impact is limited. So we're working on a, a CoPI grant right now, um, along with some more classic uh, wet labs and bio-PIs, as well as an electroengineering lab on using our drop and microfluidic devices to screen for um, biological memory elements to develop environmental biosensors. So I think that's one aspect of it, which would be great you know, in the next two or three years, as I am a SLAS fellow, as well as wrapping up my PhD, to be able to 
show that we can use this software stack and rapid hardware prototyping to actually identify optimal operating biosensors. But I think it'd be even more of an impact um, in the long term and really focused on the reproducibility and standardization is that even if I finish that project, another grad student can come into our lab or hopefully from other labs as well and use the infrastructure that we've built out to quickly apply it to a different research area, right? Uh, you know, Microfluidics has been around for 10 or 20 years. A lot of these review papers have been gone around and lauded it, its applicability in many fields. But I think that there's been limited results showing how quickly one could um, repurpose it to different focuses. Uh, that's really great. I'm really excited to see where, where you go with this because I think this is really important uh, work for the future of microfluidics. So that being said, I do want to take a second to be able to sort of take, take a step back and talk about um, you and your career. So you said you're getting near the end of your PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to get into science and specifically uh, what made you want to study this particular research topic? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was, I was privileged when I was younger to actually be exposed to science technology a lot. I originally come from Silicon Valley. Uh, so it's kind of a day-to-day reality of just seeing it everywhere. But I think that what really drew me to, to engineering as well as particularly, you know, this bioengineering, biomedical engineering field was one, just the really cool cutting edge research that's going on, but also the ability to have an impact on directly in people's lives or in, you know, making society better. So I think that when I first got, I started my undergrad at University of Washington in Seattle, and I was really focused on building out global health diagnostics. So still microfluidics to some extent, but focused on paper diagnostics. So I spent uh, four years in a lab there helping build a paper diagnostic for HIV drug resistance to be able to detect whether someone had HIV, what uh, first-line antiretroviral therapies that they could be resistant to. Um, so that was really my focus throughout all of undergrad, but I actually had the chance um, after my junior year of undergrad to internet transcriptic, which is now Stratios. Um, I know they're pretty active in the SLAS community. Um, and so my internship there was focused on building out onboarding a, the uh, thermal shift assay onto their automated work cell. Uh, and I think that experience really showed me how powerful that uh, automation could be. Kind of taking a step back, uh, this layer of abstraction away from uh, developing technologies for direct patient interactions, such as a diagnostic. And so that really focused when I was looking at what I wanted to do next towards graduate school and doing a PhD. I wanted to focus kind of on more on the automation side, more a step back from building out specific devices and more building out the frameworks that enable those to kind of accelerate their research. And that's kind of what led me towards Doug's lab, where we are still developing these microfluid devices. We have robotics inside of the lab and we do work with uh, synthetic biologists, but it's still very much inside of this. You know, we want to standardize it inside of these software tools so that other people can still use it. That's great. So it sounds like you you had a pretty clear idea of what you wanted to accomplish by joining this lab, and that's really great. What is the most exciting thing you've accomplished so far? Yeah, so I actually um, had the really great opportunity last summer to be part of a team of people to help build out uh, Boston University's COVID testing facility. So alongside with Kathy Clapridge's lab here at BU, uh, she focuses more on molecular diagnostics. We were more of the automation side. We had a core team of about five or seven people. And this is in addition to you know the, the, the numerous people working in the back in legal, medical, administrative roles. Mm-hmm. But we were a part of a group really on the ground to build out this automated testing facility internally for BU, which has the capacity to run 5,000 tests a day. 
to help students come back. Uh, it, it's been going since September. And I think the last time I checked in January, I've been running five to 600,000 tests. Um, so it's still going. I get tested every weekly, every uh, twice a week for COVID. And it's been really great to see uh, my skills be put to use, but also just be able to play a part in some actual physical outcome of seeing right. how automation can play a role. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an unfortunate circumstance for it to happen. And at the very least, it, it's probably a more tangible application of your skills than most PhD students certainly have, certainly more than you know the esoteric stuff that I did for my PhD. So that actually flows nicely into uh, the other question I have for you, which is, what is it like being a, uh, a PhD student in a pandemic? Like, you know, I, I, obviously, you know, you've had a lot of direct impact on BU's testing facility, but how has it impacted, you know, your ability to uh, progress through school? I think I'm, I'm lucky and, and pretty privileged in the way that, A, I, I was attending a school that had such a robust testing capacity where we can still go in the lab, um, albeit at reduced capacity and uh, pretty limited schedules. And then everyone else around us is required to get tested. So BU, all undergrads, grad students, and faculty, anyone on campus is required to be tested. So I think that's one a great aspect of where I go. Uh, so I feel, I feel pretty safe going in the lab. And I think I was also lucky in the way that because my work's pretty diverse in the way that I, I, I work with wet lab biologists, but also I'm pretty grounded in hardware development as well as software, I was able to pivot towards some more coding projects where we were in the full lockdown in, May, in April or May. So that, that, was, that was always... I think I was pretty lucky to be in that situation compared to someone who's a pure wet lab scientist. Mm-hmm. And it really showed just the power of you know, using software and automation on helping my life at least. But it's definitely taken everything other than research out of the grad school experience, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, we go to seminars on Zoom, but you don't get the free food afterwards, which, you know, it's, it's a pretty big drop. <laughs> that, that's events. a pretty big loss for a grad student. <laughs> it definitely is. I still have to, I have to make my lunch every day now. So, <laughs> you know, it, I, uh, it, if that's the worst outcome, then I think we'll be okay. But obviously, I know it's, uh, it's more significant than that. You know, and so I, you know, I, I'm glad that you were able to find a way to, to, to persevere and make good use of this time because I think it's been pretty challenging for a lot of people. And like you said, it's a really great indication of what laboratory automation can do for all of us, really, is the idea of being able to you know, reduce capacity without dramatically reducing productivity. That's a relatively low-hanging fruit for a lot of automation. And so yeah. this is kind of the proof in the pudding, right? What do you look forward to accomplishing this year? What would be the best outcome for 2021 for you? I think uh, COVID's kind of changed that question. Um, I think the, <laughs> the best, you know, returning to some form of normal is, is, my, is my good answer. But I think I'm really just looking forward to this uh, work we're doing with some other PIs. It's a really exciting project. We're working with wet lab biologists, but also very fundamental electrical engineers. And so really the role I'm playing in that is really is integration between all these parts. So we're getting some um, custom sensors integrated into microfluidics. We're also trying to screen uh, different memory elements inside of that. So just being able to work in such an interdisciplinary field, which I think is what automation is. In the end, right, is you're bringing together software, hardware, biology all together in one. So I'm really excited to push forward with that and start seeing some really cool results coming out of us being able to actually use our devices to identify these optimal operating um, systems. Right. All right. Well. We've reached the end of our interview, uh, David. And so I just want to take a second to um, ask, how are 
listeners can go about learning more about you and the uh, the group you work in and any last thoughts you might have for our listeners. Yeah. So, I mean, you can learn more about all of our work uh, by going to ciderlab.org. It's our lab website. And also we are pretty active on Twitter. If you are interested in learning more about kind of our COVID lab work, you search up BU COVID testing. It, it will come up. Uh, there's a decent amount of media on BU about that. You know, if you're interested in working in this sort of field of like automation, high throughput screening, data science, whatever you want to call it, I think diversity is really the key in experience. I haven't met a single person who works in automation who like, you know, knew in the very beginning, straight out of high school, they wanted to do in it, do work in automation. It's really just been this organic process where people have come and started working in that field. All right. Well, David, on behalf of SLAS, the New Matter podcast, and all of our listeners, I want to thank you for your time, congratulate you on the fellowship, and I really look forward to our next opportunity to chat, hopefully in person, after the pandemic is over. Great. Thanks so much, Martin.